This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com. Have you ever asked, what am I living for? Well, as we begin a, a brand new year here of 2016, I, I have felt that the Lord wanted me to challenge us as a church together about you specifically setting yourself up for greater effectiveness than you've ever had in your life to this point that this is gonna be a year of transition, of growth, and of effectiveness for you. I, I believe that every year God gives us the opportunity to experience his faithfulness that we talked about earlier. I believe he, he gives us the opportunity to experience greater victories. Things that have been strongholds in our lives in the past are, are gonna be changing. We're gonna have victory over that in the favor of God and so forth, but to receive those things will require that you have your heart set on three things. And over the next several weeks, I wanna to talk to you about these three things. Today, I'm gonna to talk to you on the subject of influence. And then next week, we're gonna talk about the subject of eternity from a totally different angle than maybe you've, you've been taught in the past, doesn't mean it's heresy, it just means we're gonna go from a totally different angle. And then thirdly, we're gonna talk about the subject of generosity and what that can mean to the blessings of God upon your life. So I've entitled this entire series of messages, What Are You Living For? And if I were to ask you that question, or if you were to be able to write it down, I, w I wonder what your answer would be to that thought. What am I living for? Uh, am I living for uh, advancement at work? Nothing wrong with that, but if that's your total focus. Uh, am I living for, um, you know, making more money? Am I, li am I living for uh, getting a greater education? Am I, am I living, f you know, what, what is it that you're living for? Uh, how would you answer that question? I, I want to ask you today, do you see this new year as a new year of opportunity for growth in your life? Do you, do you see it as a, a new year that you're living for some definite changes that you want to bring into your life and some uh, incredible victories? You're believing for that. I, I was talking with an area pastor just this past week. He and I went out to lunch together. And as we were chatting about the new year, we were chatting about some challenges, especially that in, in relationship to him, that he had faced over the the last um, year and 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 I had been kind of counseling with him and working with him through some of those challenges and trying to to bring some direction and some help into his life and as we got to the end of our of our lunchtime and our discussion uh, I just said to him you know what do you feel like is the bottom life of a bottom line of where you're at in your life and he said you know I am believing that this year is going to be a great year with new victories, with new growth in my own life in Christ, in my family, in my marriage. I am believing that God is going to, to, to bring this about and I'm gonna be focusing 
on working with the Holy Spirit to bring this to pass in my life. And I know some of you might be thinking to yourself, well, there's no way you can change those things. Those things either happen or they don't happen. It's kind of out of your control. But that is not true. The reality is what the next, next few weeks are going to be in your life are being determined by decisions you're making today. And what's going to be happening in your life over the next few months are, are being determined by decisions you're making in the next couple of weeks. And what's going to be happening over the course of this year is going to be determined by decisions that you will be making for your life over these next couple of months. That's, you, you lay the framework, you lay the foundation for, for future victories by choices that you make with your life, by decisions that you make with your life, even right now. And so when he got done saying that, I knew what he was saying was not only am I not going to accept what has been as it's always going to be that way, but I am determined that this next year is going to be a different year. I'm recognizing some areas of failure that need to be strengthened, some weaknesses that need to be strengthened, some things that need to be changed. But I am deciding that I'm going to focus on working with the Holy Spirit and bringing some definite changes into my family and into my life. And I, and I just said, amen to that, you know. And I am believing that not only for him, but for me too, and for you. But the tragic fact is that most people enter a new year in the same way they exited the last year, with no thought that their lives can be any different, can be any better, can be any healthier, can be any deeper with the Lord. But what I'm saying is that with Jesus, when, when, when Jesus is a part of the equation, he makes all the difference in the world because he gives us the vision and he gives us then the power to fulfill the vision that he places on our spirit. Things that we could never do on our own, he gives us the ability to do. But I, I do want to say, for that to happen for you, is going to require that you become a person of increased faith. Increased faith. Faith that what God has put in your heart, he will bring to completion. Now, this is what the world generally says. It says, get a vision, get a goal for your life for the new year. That's, that's good, but that's not really what, that's not the best. Having a goal for your life is a good thing, but you need more than that. You need a God-given goal. You need the Spirit of God speaking to your heart specifically about some things and planting some dreams specifically within your own heart and your own spirit. That's what you got to have. Not just you sitting down saying, oh, I want to win the Powerball. I'm believing I'm going to win the Powerball, you know. Um, I could go down that road. I'll, I'll, I'll bypass that one. But that, that's not the vision that God has for your future. God wants to give you something that's specific to you, specific to your family. And, and as you open your spirit to receive that, God will give you the vision. But even just having a God-given vision is not enough. You've got to then have faith that what he has planted in your spirit, he's going to bring to completion. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul had. He had a faith-filled confidence that what God had started he was going to bring to an end. He said it in Philippians 1.6. He said, I am certain. Say the word certain. 
certain, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work. I believe that it's going to continue until it's finally finished. God is not giving up on you. God is going to bring it to completion. So it's more than just having a God-given vision. It's also having the faith that God will bring to pass what he has promised to you, the goals that he has birthed within your heart and within your spirit for this year. And that is the key that sets the believer apart from the world. It puts, uh, it's, it's our faith that puts us on a total different track, a total different path from how, how the world is, is reacting. Because the world sets out and says, okay, I'm going to lose weight and I'm going to get a membership at, at Gold's Gym and I'm going to start going in. And that works really great for the first two weeks. Trouble is you bought a year-long membership. But you never go back the entire time. You know, that's a good vision to have, losing weight, getting a shape. That's a wonderful thing to do. But God has more for you than just that. He wants to do something deep within your heart that transforms your life. And you've got to believe by faith because what God will give you will be greater than what you can do on your own. And so you've got to have that God-given vision that scares you half to death and then faith that says... God's going to do this. He's going to bring it to completion until it's finally finished. Okay, and that's the key. So today, as we think about this new year, I want to suggest to you that you begin thinking about your influence as a person, who you are influencing and how you are influencing them. Now, this I will tell you, you are influencing more people than you think. Some of you, the devil has spoken to you and said you're a nothing and nobody cares about you and nobody's looking. That is not true. There are far more people who look to you and in, the, and in looking to you for influence, they're looking to you for direction. They're reading your response. They're saying that this is the way I should live my life because this is the way you live your life. Some people will reject the way you live your life, but you're influencing someone is my point. And so I want you to think about the subject of influence, so much so that if someone were to come to you and to say, what are you living for? Your answer would solidly be to them, I am, in, I am living, living to influence others for Jesus more than I ever have before. That is my, to fulfill God's will, God's plan for my life, and to influence people for the Lord. Now, if you want to have godly influence in your life, and that's going to be a goal of your life this year, then it's going to require that you make three definite choices in this new year with your life. Choice number one, you've got to choose to reject a victim mentality. The victim mentality has, has, has just infiltrated American culture. People are victims everywhere. Pastor John spoke so well about this last Sunday uh, when Carrie and I were, were off. And, and, and I thank you for doing it. I, re I read the manuscript of his message. Tremendous thoughts there. But I, I want to share with you just a few additional thoughts to what Pastor John kind of built on what he had shared last week. We live in a very self-centered and self-focused time in America. 
many people see themselves, in fact, I would say most people in our culture see themselves as victims. I want you to think about this. That's what they believe, and it affects how they live. They're a victim of someone else. Now, someone else has done them wrong. This is what I know. If you see yourself as a victim, you will develop a very self-centered uh, point of view and, and direction to your life. You will become very self-focused. Now, I will tell you this, that all of us are victims to one degree or another. All of us have been victimized. Some of you in this room, and I don't diminish this one bit, you have been victimized incredibly by someone in your past. The devil's desire is to get you trapped in that and to keep you there under bondage the rest of your life. And some of you were wounded so deeply in that that you've played right along with the devil and didn't even know you're doing it. You have allowed that past situation to dominate, dominate and define your life. What I want everyone here to understand, even if you have gone through incredibly intense victimization yourself, is that every one of us in this room have been victimized to one degree or another. You know, we talk about dysfunctional families. I have lived long enough to realize that there are no functional families. They are all dysfunctional. All of them. You know why? It's because we all have a fallen nature. We're all sinners, and therefore we all demonstrate unfortunate qualities and characters about our, lot, our, our, our nature. Uh, that comes out of us. So we are all dysfunctional. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's right all the time. We, we, we don't always react right all the time. We get hurt by people, but every one of us have hurt other people too. And if you just get focused on the one side of being hurt by someone else and never stop to realize that you hurt, have hurt others, you will turn yourself into a victim that the with a mentality that the devil can use against you. So what I am saying is that all of us have been hurt or victimized by others, all of us to one degree or another. But people who live for godly influence have committed that hurt to Jesus. Now, some people think that if I commit something to Jesus and I let loose of it, that I'm letting the people who hurt me off the hook. And that is absolutely not true. When you commit something to Jesus, a wound that someone has done to you, a hurt that someone has brought into your life, when you commit that to Jesus, what you are doing is committing it to the justice of God. God will deal with that situation according to his perfect knowledge of how that that individual should be dealt with. Now, hopefully that individual, if they're an unbeliever, will come to Christ and they'll have a transformation of their, of their life. Uh, if they claim to be a believer, hopefully they'll come to the place where they realize I've, I've done damage and I need to seek forgiveness. But even if that doesn't happen, well, let's just say it this way. If that does happen, then, then their, their sin, like my sin, like your sin, has been forgiven them. 
and it's under the blood of Jesus Christ, and they've been made new. And we can rejoice in that because ultimately we want all people to come to repentance. Amen? It's our desire that everyone come to a place where they're right with God and right with their fellow man. That's, that is our desire and what we desire to see happen. If they choose not to do that, God will deal with them in justice at the right time. And I don't know when that time will be. It may be in their life. It may be in eternity. But God will deal with that. So when you turn someone over to God and you release an issue, they're not getting rid of it. You're getting healed. And you're releasing them to the justice of God to deal with. So they're not getting away with it. But people who, have, who live for godly influence then turn that hurt over to God and they refuse to be victimized for life. They turn their past over to a loving God who can heal the wounds of their past. So the truth is, we have all been hurt, we've all been taken advantage of, and that can make us very self-centered, self-focused to the point that our reactions to everyone in the world are no longer the reactions of the Holy Spirit or of the will of God or certainly not the Word of God, but they are the reactions of our own personal feelings. Out of our hurt and pain, we, hurt, we bring hurt and pain to others. You've heard the phrase, hurting people hurt people? That is very, very true. When you don't release it to God and you retain the pain, the hurt yourself, you will hurt others either on the same level that you've been hurt or to a greater degree. That, that's how that, that poison comes out of you. People who are victims hang on to that, but people who refuse to be victims can become incredible influencers for the glory and the kingdom of God. Now, one of the things I've noticed is that victims, people who are victims, are always looking for reasons to be upset. If they don't necessarily have one at the moment, they'll find something to be upset and complain. Usually complaint comes with it, you know. You know how many of you know what I mean? All right. How many of you are sitting by a person just, no, no, you never sit. <laughs> but it's true, it's true of us, all of us are this way. If we choose to be a victim, we'll find something to be upset. We're never happy upset about something and so um, it maybe it's the government or your boss or your neighbor or your parents or your church you'll be upset at your church or I can't God forbid your pastor <laughs> can't imagine that um, or certainly the person who offended you or wounded you uh, or you'll be you'll be some people even go so far as they, they're very upset at God they're very angry at God over what's happened in their life the list can be endless of the, of the people or the circumstances you get angry about. But Jesus died to give us freedom from being victims because victimhood brings an anger and a bitterness into your spirit that will go deep. The Bible talks about a root of bitterness. It'll root its way down into every aspect of your life until it corrupts all of you, you know. That's why forgiveness is so important, you know. Because when you forgive, it destroys the root of bitterness. But if you stay a victim, root bitterness will grow and develop in your, in your life. Jesus died to make you a victor, not a victim. 
to deliver you from being a victim and to turn you into a victor. That's why Paul said in Romans 8:37, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. So when I read that scripture, I think to myself, the immediate question I have is, despite what things? He says, despite all these things, well, despite what things? Well, verse 35 gives us the list that he's talking about. He says, despite the trouble that you're going through, despite the calamity, despite the persecution, despite the hunger, despite the poverty, despite the danger, despite the death, even with all of that on Paul's resume, he still said he had overwhelming victory in his life. And I doubt there's any of us who could stand up and say that we have had trouble or calamity or persecution or hunger or destitution or danger or even facing death the way the apostle Paul did. Good grief. He was stoned several times and left for dead. They thought he was dead. They'd beaten him up so much with stones. I've never had rocks hit thrown at me like that, you know. Um, I've, I've had verbal rocks thrown at me, but I've never had literal rocks thrown at me. The way the apostle Paul, he was getting it verbally and he was getting it physically. This man knew what it was to, to live with damage and pain and hurt. And yet he says, I have overwhelming victory in spite of all of this. So as hard as life can be, a person who has chosen to live in overwhelming victory is no longer victimized because they recognize that God is going to ultimately turn everything into their victory and he will bring justice into the situation. And they have confidence in that. Paul admitted how hard life can be, even for a believer. He talked about his own life in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, 9. He said, we're hard-pressed on every side. We're, we're, we're perplexed uh, uh, and we're persecuted and we're struck down. And, and I, I don't know all that, what that meant to him. I mean, you can read about his life and, his, and what he faced in the book of Acts. All I know is that it deeply affected him to the point that he wrote about it and said, these things have come against me. But, but Paul refused to be the victim because look what else he said. Yes, I've been hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Hallelujah. I, yeah, yes, I've been perplexed at times, but never in despair or hopeless. Yes, I've been persecuted, but God has been with me, never abandoned. Uh, I've been struck down, but never destroyed. It's the power of God working in every situation that has turned me into a victor instead of a victim a victim. So whether the things that happen in your life this year turn you into a victim or not is up to you. I can't choose that for you and you can't choose that for me. I do know this though. If you choose to be a, a victim, you will never have a positive godly influence on other people. That victim spirit will come out of you and it'll, that has poisoned you, it'll poison others as well. You've got to get, get rid of the victim spirit. You've got to decide right now that all that's happened in your life is really an opportunity for God to show his favor, his power in your life, and to turn things from tragedy to triumph in your, in your family, in your life. So I want to challenge you right now to decide that you're not going to allow the enemy to paralyze you anymore, 
2016 is going to be a, a different year. You're not going to live paralyzed by the past in your life anymore. You're going to start standing in, in, in the faith of Romans 8, 28 that says, God causes everything to work together for the good in my life. I'm believing that and I'm standing on that promise. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm preaching myself into victory here. All right. Decision number two, you've got to choose to focus on other people if you want to have great influence. Now, everybody influences someone. Parents influence their kids and bosses, their employees and teachers or students, on and on. Everybody influences someone, but it's, it's just a matter of how they influence them. Do they influence them positively or negatively? You have an influence on your children. You have an influence on your neighbors, on your coworkers, on your spouses. You have an influence. If you're going to influence others for good, you can't be focused on yourself all the time. Victimization makes you focus on yourself all the time. You've got to start moving into ministry to other people. You, start, you walk into church and you start looking for people you can bless. And I'm not joking. You say, well, my week has been terrible. Fine. Go around and encourage somebody else, and guess what you'll get back? Give, and it shall be given unto you, right? You, you need encouragement? Give encouragement. And God will start pouring encouragement back into you through other people. When you see yourself in ministry to others, it, it sets you free from the circumstances of your own life. Philippians 2, 4 says, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. There, there is a powerful prayer that has impacted my life over the last 20 years since I've become more aware of it. It's found in the Old Testament, prayed by a man by the name of Jabez. And, and you may not know who Jabez is. He's kind of an obscure figure in the Old Testament. We don't know too much about him, frankly. One of the things we do know about him, the Bible tells us, is that his mother gave him a name, Jabez, that means in Hebrew, pain or sorrow. Now, I don't know if what she meant by that was, I'm sorry you were born. Um, you've been a real pain to me, you know, more than just the literal pain of childbirth. Maybe that's all it was, but I don't know exactly what was going on in her head that she was called Jabez, uh, that she called him Jabez. But for whatever reason, she gave him a name that meant in their culture, pain and sorrow. And, and whatever she thought he would turn out to be, he proved her wrong because Jabez had two powerful things going for him. Number one, an incredible faith in God. And the second thing we know about him is he had an incredible prayer life. And one of his prayers is included in God's word, a prayer that he prayed. It's found in First Chronicles chapter 4 and verse 10. And it says this, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me and that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. And it says God granted him what he requested. When you look at that prayer, there are four distinct parts to the prayer. Let me just point them out to you. The first one is, oh, that you will bless me indeed. Secondly, enlarge my territory. Thirdly, that your hand would be with me. And fourthly, that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. And, and verse 10 says that the, the, the end of it all, God granted him what he requested. As I was thinking about how that prayer applies to us today, 
Because, you know, in, 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 in understanding Scripture, you understand what it meant to the, the people that it was written to or the people that heard it first, but also how it applies to you. That's how you in, interpret Scripture. And, and so as in thinking about how this would, what God would be saying to us about how does this apply to us in this new year, I, I believe it would be this way. Point number one. Oh, that you will bless us. Not just that you'll prosper everything I do and make life easy, but you will bless me with the will and plan of God for my life. God, I want to do your will. Secondly, that you would enlarge my territory. The territory not, I, I don't want to own more land. I want to touch more souls. God, enlarge my territory of influence on other people. Godly influence on other people. You getting it? Thirdly, that God's hand of anointing would be with me, that you'd empower me through the Spirit. You'd anoint me in the Holy Spirit, that I'd be able to touch lives because nothing of eternal value will, help it, will happen in my power. It's all about the anointing of God that, that touches people for eternity. And fourthly, that you would keep us from evil by giving us the power to overcome temptation. Now, it's the second part of that prayer that I want us to focus on right now because we're talking about the idea of influence. He says, enlarge my territory. If, if you interpret that little phrase to be a prayer for wealth, you miss the point. God's highest purpose in us is not to make us wealthy. His highest purpose in us is to make us a great godly people of great godly influence in the world in which we live. God wants to use you to influence the world with the message of his kingdom. Now, he wants to do that where you worship. He wants to do that where you work. He wants to do that where you live. He wants, he wants to start using you in some by far more dynamic ways than you've ever been used before. He wants, you to, he wants to use you doing that with your kids. He wants to use you doing that with your, your parents. You know, it's just who, wherever you are, wherever you go. Our primary purpose is to be witnesses for Christ or to bring the kingdom. We, the kingdom resides within us that we're to go out and touch the world, bringing the kingdom of God and push back the darkness of the kingdom of the evil one. That's our purpose. Now, if in the process you make money and you become wealthy, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Uh, if in the process you climb the corporate ladder, hallelujah, praise the Lord. But whether you're wealthy or not, whether you're high or whether you're low, you need to make it your prayer, God, use whatever I have, whatever position I have, whatever means I have, whether I have a lot or little, may people look at me and say, God's with that person. God's with him. God's with her. They, they explain us only by God. It's like, I can't explain that guy. I can't explain that gal. Must be God. That's, that's, that's the only way I can explain them. Um, and let's make a difference in the world for Christ because they see what difference Christ has made in us. 
1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. When you do that, you release the influence of the kingdom into whatever circumstance, whether it's at school or at work, or you're bringing the difference of the kingdom there. Paul said in Acts 20, 24, my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it to finish the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. So that's what Paul was living for. God, when I go to school, I want to be a, uh, I want to be a witness for you. When I go to work, I want to be a witness for you. God, when I, when I stand and preach, I want to be a witness for you. Lord, I want every part of my life to be a witness for you. I want to show the excellence of God and the Spirit of the Lord upon me. So his total focus was other people. Now, we have been made and saved and put on this planet to do one primary thing. Paul says to the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Everything else is secondary. So I want to challenge you to make your primary purpose this year, and this has got to be something you decide, <coughs> excuse me, something you focus on. Your primary purpose to influence others for Christ. Sometimes you will do that with words, and sometimes you won't use words. But you're going to be an influence for Christ. Make... Start praying about it. Pray a prayer like this. Oh God, enlarge my territory of influence for your kingdom. Let me start seeing open doors of opportunity. Make me aware that I have an opportunity right now to share your love with somebody's life. You know, on and on. You, and God, give me the right words to say. You know, and God will start doing that. He'll start making you aware and it'll start happening. Romans 6, 13 says, give yourselves completely to God, every part of you to be tools in the hands of God to be used for his good purposes. All right, let me finish by giving you point number three. You've got to choose to set high goals for your life. You're never going to be greatly used for God if you don't believe God can greatly use you. <clears throat> if you think that's always for somebody else, then you will live and die in mediocrity. And you will give an account for your life. And, and some of us think that living medi in mediocrity is a way of being humble. It is not. That's a lie from hell. God wants to use. He doesn't use all of us the same way, but he wants to use every one of us. So whatever is holding you back from being used, you've got to take authority over that thing this year. In the name of Jesus, don't, don't let the devil rob you of your destiny, okay? Now, things change as we grow older. The way we're used changes, but God wants to use every one of you who call Christ your Savior. He wants to use you in some capacity for his kingdom. Now, to do that will require three things. Number one, You've got to realize that you were saved for a purpose, kind of what we already talked about. Ephesians 2.10 says, you're God's masterpiece. He created you anew in Christ Jesus to do the good things he planned for you to do long ago. So that means you have got a job to do. Every one of us have a job from the Lord. Number two, you've got to overcome the obstacles that want to keep you from doing whatever God calls you to do. And those obstacles may be your past failures. They may be sense, a sense of, 
uh, inability or a lack of value or whatever it is, do not let those obstacles control the rest of your life. You've got to overcome them. And every one of us has to do that. In fact, I was thinking about King David uh, of Israel. Man, you talk about a guy who failed. If you know his life, you know that he failed. I'm not going to review it today, but he failed big time. Murder, adultery, the whole bit. But this is what the Bible says about David in Acts 13, 36. David served God's purposes in his own time, and then he died. What that's saying is that David didn't let the obstacles of his life, his past failures, keep him from doing God's will. He accepted the forgiveness of God, he forgave himself, and he moved on. Because here's the truth, none of us, none of us, not you, not me, none of us is good enough. None of us is good enough. We've all failed, we all have weaknesses. And our failures and weaknesses can become obstacles to keep us from a life of positive influence this year. But if you want this year to be a year of greater influence for God, you've got to confront those barriers and decide that they're no longer going to be allowed to keep you from God's will in your life. And that might scare you half to death because God may call on you to do something that you didn't think you could do. And I'll tell you what I am doing with my life, what I never would have thought I could have done with my life. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.